Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So um, I wanted to, to bring up a topic today of someone who has been a very long-term contributor to my career, um, which is someone I'm sure that most of our audience probably has heard of, which is Kent Beck. Oh, yeah. He's, he's an old friend now. I've never met him, but uh, I've read so much of his work and followed so much of what he does that... I think he's uh, fascinating, but not all our listeners will necessarily know who he is, so you better help us out. Who is he and why is he amazing? So so most people would probably, who do know him, uh, probably the widest, widest audience would be people who know him uh, from uh, being one of the uh, co-signatories of the Agile Manifesto. So he was up there in the really early days. Now, people who were into Agile in the early days would know him even more as uh, the the person who was kind of the one of the main creators, the definer of extreme programming, and uh, he wrote the classic book Extreme Programming Explained. Uh, the White Book was the first edition, and uh, that was just an absolutely transformative book for myself and I know many many others uh, in software um, read that and really had epiphanies. But the weird thing is that that somehow. Somehow he hasn't seemed to form a whole bunch of um, uh, certification authorities and, and um, uh, 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 some sort of groups that, uh, that promulgate it and, and decide on how it works, like Scrum or some of the other, um, SAFE or some of the other agile uh, mechanisms, agile methods. So uh, yeah, it's interesting that, that extreme programming is not so well known, I think, because uh, it, it hasn't had this kind of uh, commercial... Um, uh, amplification. Uh, on the other hand, I think that might be why it's so successful. <laughs> That's right, and it, and it really does remain influential to people and uh, uh, um, today. And, and I think he's also known for, and people may not even realize this, but he's the creator of JUnit, and therefore um, he and Eric Gamma wrote it, I believe, like on a plane flight. Um, he 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 thought it was something so trivial. He did it mostly as an exercise to show people how easy it was to create your own testing framework. And lo and behold, it became just absolutely transformative to the industry. And um, even if you're not using JUnit, odds are in any given language, you have a unit testing framework that's inspired by JUnit. So amazingly influential guy. Um, and over his career has had a big influence on uh, people in technology, developers in particular, big proponent of refactoring. And I think one of the interesting things now is he has, um, he's been active throughout. And so, you, you know, I've been following his, his career, his, his time at Facebook, for example, uh, where he went in to, to help them uh, be better at software. And he's done a bunch of different things. And the latest thing he's working on is a new book. And this one, the slightly different audience. And I think um, this time he's aiming more squarely at executives. And I think it's very interesting to see him sort of changing the focus, realizing that to really be successful, you need an alignment between the technologists and executives in particular. Now, this is not entirely new for him. I think he's often talked about the importance of, you know, business buy-in and things like this. But this is the first time I've, I've personally seen him really focus so much on the executive audience. So that's the context, and he's, he's now he has a substack where he's he's putting information up, and it's from that substack I had something he, he just put up recently that I thought would be a good thing to discuss uh, on this podcast. So what do you think? Are you, you ready to hear the uh, the actual topic <laughs> now that you've, we've introduced Ken Beck? Oh, sure. Well, and any anything from, from, from Ken Beck is worth talking about, even though I have the feeling 
we might find something to disagree about. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that, that that's that's part of the fun. So that the, what he's done is he he has this uh, book that he's working on, but he put up what he called a briefing. He, he said he's going to put up a briefing on what the book is about, and then he had a shorter version, a briefing on the briefing. And what he what I liked about this is he, he had a very quick section, four bullet points of what he called um, classic software design blunders. And to be clear, when he's talking about design here, he's also talking about the critical role of refactoring. That, that continuously refactoring the software is the process of design. It's not something you do once up front, it's a continuous process. And so that context where he comes in saying, hey, here are four classic design uh, blunders that you should uh, be concerned about. So you ready? I'm gonna go, go through them one at a time. Fantastic. Well, and the, and the first one obviously is that refactoring is so important, you should be doing it all the time and you should be completely rewriting the system at least once a month, right? So you, you take everything apart, you do it all again, now that you finally understand how the system should work. Yeah, isn't, isn't that what Beck is saying? Exactly not. Number one, thou shall not rewrite the system. Oh, right. Okay. We got it. The problem is here that so many people use refactoring wrong. And what I'm pointing out in my attempt at humor there is that uh, refactoring is something that you should complete in one minute, not in one week or one month or one day. So when developers come to you and say, oh, we are going to be refactoring for the next couple of months, don't bother us, you should run away in fear. Something is going wrong. So we violently agree with, with Kent on uh, item number one. Do not rewrite the whole system. Yeah. And the reason they call these classic mistakes, by the way, what I like about this classic blunders is that there's a natural tendency for them to happen. And, and I can't tell you the number of times I heard people say, yeah, we, we you know, we, we're busy refactoring the system and we've been working on it for the past couple months and we think it should be a couple months more. Like that's, people didn't, didn't really understand the refactoring memo. Um, so classic mistake number two, and I, and I really like this one even more, thou shall not pause delivery of features for an extended period to fix the design. This is, this I think is a more subtle version of the same one, which is, you know, people might say like, okay, fine, we're not gonna rewrite the whole system, but we do need to take, uh, you know, a month to fix this subsection. Like, oh, you know, we just don't have this quite right, you know, oh, uh, and, um, you know, we need to improve the scalability of this. And so we're gonna have to uh, uh, go and, and, and fix the design here. You know, now that we're, we have this technical debt, it'll, it'll take us a while. So we're gonna have a pause, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna take a, a pause of what we're doing to, to fix things. Um, I think this is less obviously an error, but still an error. Do you have any immediate thoughts on this, Squirrel, about when you've encountered this? Uh, and it's something less than a whole system rewrite? Yeah, the, the, the reason you don't do this is the same as the reason that um, it, it would not be helpful if you're lost um, to pull out multiple maps or try Google Maps and then Apple Maps and then a physical map in order to try not to be lost. Uh, because uh, when you get lost, it is very helpful to consult a map. That's a, a great thing to do. Uh, but if you stop driving the car completely, and the only thing you do is uh, try to consult experts who can try to help you move to wherever it is you're trying to get to, we all know that doesn't work. And eventually what you need to do is ask someone, or drive to the next major road and see if you see a street sign. Those are things that are pretty obvious to us when we're trying to navigate, but when we're trying to navigate to a working system that solves problems, that is valuable, that gives people benefit, somehow we forget that. And so uh, uh, my strong advice here is that the, the key word here, there, in a couple of these, there's a key word here, it's extended. I don't mind stopping briefly 
to check out uh, whether we're on the right street, whether we have the right map, whether we're, uh, we've got the right address that we're trying to get to. That's great, but when you stop for an extended period, you're likely to lose touch with what you're actually trying to do, and there's more information out there that you could get. And, and um, passing that by, eliminating it, and saying we're just going to go fix the design is um, uh, certainly a classic blunder in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, when I when I think about both of these two, it, it's sort of there's a bit of hubris here. It's sort of like, well, we didn't we couldn't get it right the first time, but certainly we'll get it right the second time. And, and the point about continuing uh, to deliver while you're working on your refactoring is sort of proof that the changes you're making um, are working that you know that you you have some this contact with reality this test of reality and i think that's even why i think that thing is bring us lead into the the third classic software blend, design blunder which is you know they say thou shalt not delay the first feature to get the design right you know quote get the design right yep as soon as we get the design right then we'll ship and it, and, it, and it has the same problem, which is people have the belief they're doing the right thing, but they, they have lost contact. They don't, they're not in touch with reality, and therefore they're not getting the feedback on, is this actually working? Is this actually delivering value? And are we delivering value as a, as a team, as a system, um, as opposed to just, you know, we're in an isolated playground where we're building something that we think is good, but, you know, not getting that feedback. That the, the proof of our correctness of our design is the fact we're able to ship. <laughs> and so if that's not happening, you're not getting proof that you're on the right track. You can't argue with that one. Yep, first three working working real well for me. In particular, it's it's just sort of a compounding of the second problem when you say you're going to delay the first feature. So not only are we not going to pause delivery of all features, we're not going to pause the first one. And that's a fallacy that I think often is driven by developers who say, uh, well, I, I need to get greater understanding. I need more information ahead of actually encountering any customers. And that's just exactly backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, um, uh, certainly I've, I've been quoting uh, people recently at, at, at my work, um, the, the sort of uh, uh, scene that came from the early days of Agile and, and extreme programming, in fact, which was like, there's three steps here. First, you make it work, then you make it right, then you make it fast. <laughs> so it's like we have to prove prove that we have it working and then we can make it right. But that's, an, as we say, an ongoing process. And the fourth one goes in a little bit different direction. I thought this is uh, interesting to compare. It says, thou shall not thoughtlessly demand the next feature immediately upon completion of the last. I'm blowing the whistle. Hang on. Blowing the whistle. I don't want to break our, our listeners' ears, but imagine a whistle blowing at this point, because we just we just did something unfair, or rather, I'm calling Kent Beck on doing something unfair. He's stuck in the word thoughtlessly. Well, clearly, if we do thoughtless things, that's going to be a blunder. There's no question. But I think it's perfectly reasonable to demand the next feature immediately on completion of the last in certain situations. There's a way to do that that's not thoughtless. So <clears throat> what I wouldn't want is listeners... To, or readers of Beck to, to pick this up and say, well, wh what we do not want to do is just demand that we do one feature after the next. Yes, that's right, but there are lots of situations in which having a follow-on feature, having a follow-on change as quickly as possible, gives you tremendous information. It's tremendously useful, and it's not thoughtless at all. So uh, I'd be very cautious about number four here. 
uh, and I, I thought about this one is it does come kind of come in a different direction. I do feel like the first three are more kind of initiated by technologists, and this one maybe is more initiated by the business. And I think the, the, the point here is like you pointed out earlier that extended was doing some work and here thoughtlessly is doing a lot of work. I, I think it is the, the, the case that sometimes people will just demand like we're going to have 27 features come out. And, and the point here is, and I think the, the, what he's pointing on is not allowing time for making it right, not allowing for the time to fix the design. Because if we said like through the first three, part of the reason that they're problematic is the idea that, well, you're going to make mistakes in your design. We're going to, the idea for all of this is we should accept that and plan that what we do is we get the thing working. And then once we've written it, we know what the design could have been or should have been, something more natural. And then we can make the refactoring, make the change to make it more like it should be, especially in line with, you know, what, what we've learned from having put these pieces together. That's the kind of ever-evolving nature. So you definitely, I agree with you 100%, there are times when we say, yep, we absolutely need the next feature. And you should know that you're deferring those improvements to design. And depending on your situation, that could be a false economy. In other words, you, you better know that there, you actually are getting value for the fact that you got, say, you know, three features in this sprint or in this time period rather than two. Is that worth it? for now the fact you're going to have to spend a little bit more time later cleaning up the design, that there probably was a bit more friction in getting that third feature done than there would have been if they had fixed things as you went along. Because the, the idea is that if we're constantly refactoring, we're actually generating an engine towards uh, improved velocity later down the road. And that time to payback can actually, in my experience, be very short. So. Um, I, I agree with it here, but I agree with you what you said, which is the word thoughtlessly is kind of thrown in here. And I can very much see some uh, discussion between a, a you know business and technologists and someone saying, well, look, you're, you know, we should not go ahead and ship that next feature because Kent Beck says we shouldn't thoughtfully demand the next feature. Or they might even leave that off and say, you know, he says you shouldn't demand the next feature immediately upon completion of the last. And, and in fact, to leave out use cases where it's very, very helpful to release the next feature right after the first. I'll, I'll describe two of them. One, I often make the analogy of a potter throwing a pot. And if you've ever seen someone doing that, that person is constantly changing the pot and constantly moving. I'm, I'm sort of crooking my hand in the way that potters do if you've ever seen someone do it. And they make ridges in the pot and they reshape it. But they're doing it all the way along as they're working. So if you have a situation where you can constantly change the software you're building like a potter rather than being like a sculptor who has to make a choice about which chip to, to knock off and you can't put it back on, can't just glue it back, um, if you're in that situation where you're in the state of continuous change, doing the next feature might be the place where you make the design improvement. And I have been in that situation. It's a very nice one. Not everyone is there. But when you have... Um, frequent feedback from your customers, you have easy access to production, um, the consequences of error are low, you can move extremely fast and make changes as you go. And then the other situation is one in which um, the cost of error is extremely low. In fact, you, you want to make errors. And I've got a client right now who uh, uh, hired something like 50 people in the last two weeks. An insane level of growth. 
but that's because they're trying to make a land grab. The continent they're on has been um, uh, uh, not well served in their market. So they have an entire continent to go after, and it's a rare situation. But in their situation, um, getting new things out quickly, even broken things, even wrong things, even things that will be hard to maintain, has tremendous value. So it makes an awful lot of sense for them, not thoughtlessly, to crank out more and more features. They know they're building up a tremendous debt. They're okay with that, because if they can manage to get ahead of the competition, they will do very well. But they, they have to be doing that thoughtfully rather than thoughtlessly. And in both the cases I described, where you have this kind of rapid modification, you can, you can make the improvements almost every single hour, uh, or in the situation where you're making a land grab, those are two I can think of immediately as uh, applying to my clients. Where, where I would not want someone to thoughtlessly apply um, blunder number four. Yeah, I, 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 I agree completely. And I, we can come up with all kinds of different scenarios and situations. And I think what it would, what it would um, uh, the underlying truth here is that, look, we're, we're talking about situations where there's no substitute for professional judgment on both sides. In other words, both on the technologist side and on the business side. And really, people should be coming together, have you know mutual learning conversations, to to make the judgment. You know, what is our situation? What is the right way to move in our in our situation? And simply, uh, you know, a, a, a binary rules uh, about you know we should always do this or you know never do that. You know, those are always going to be a bit mistaken. There will be circumstances that um, uh, make something. Uh, that's normally not a good idea, right for your scenario. Um, now that I can't think of a case for rewriting the whole system, it might be an exception. But um, the, the idea that you're going to have to bring judgment in uh, on, on some of these, I think is absolutely true. However, I'll say as a, even with our caveat, I do think that this Ken Beck in putting together these four items has done a really good job of identifying very common areas where people do get themselves into problems with their design. Um, because in, in all four cases, the common element is that uh, of, of failing to use the opportunity of learning uh, to then refine the design as you go and to have your system always be working clean. Um, there's probably a reason why Kent's substack is called Heidi First. <laughs> He's, he's, he's wearing his bias on his sleeve. Indeed. And that, that's what the book is called, if I understand it right. And um, I, I haven't read it, but I, I wonder if more of these principles, like always keeping a working system and getting frequent feedback from customers, I wonder if those are more prominent in the book. I would hope so, if he happens to listen to this and wants to come on and be a guest. That would be wonderful, because I'd like to hear from him about what underlies these this list of four mistakes. I'd say for sure... If you're doing any of these four things and you're not being really thoughtful and careful, you're probably making a classic blunder. But it would be possible, I think, to do even uh, even the first one, even rewriting the system in a in a careful and thoughtful way. But you know what? The the, the odds are the other. What is the old uh, quote? Um, you know, the the race is not always to the strong nor the um, uh, the something to the the fast, but uh, that's the way to bet. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'll try to look up the actual quote. Uh, if you're doing one of these things. And you're not sure, you're probably wrong. But there are cases where you can um, adopt the fundamental principles and um, do these things and not be making a blunder. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Kent Beck. Uh, you know, um, I, actually, I, I did work with Kent at my time at Agitar. And so um, I will end up uh, reaching out to him and, and see if he'd like to come in on the podcast and 
and uh, and talk. And anyone else, if our listeners know Kent, you know, feel free to reach out and encourage him <laughs> to join because I think uh, his his insights are fantastic, and we'd love to have him on. No question. And um, uh, we maybe have, have uh, minor disagreements, but uh, Kent is someone certainly to watch and listen to. Um, whether you're a technologist, which is what he is through and through, or an executive, which is who he's trying to reach out to, something you know I'm doing all the time, So, uh, and that Jeffrey and I both are, are very interested in. So uh, grateful for uh, Kent's contributions and ideas, and uh, we'd sure like to hear from listeners uh, no matter what they come up with. So if you've read the book and, and you have a different point of view from us, if you uh, uh, see that there are examples where you're making some of these supposed blunders and uh, you don't see that there's a problem or you're wondering how to get out of the problem, any of those kinds of questions and comments and discussion, uh, we love that and we'd sure love to hear from you. Uh, the best way to get in touch with us is to first go to agileconversations.com where you'll find our book and free materials and videos and uh, guides and a bunch of other fun stuff as well as our email, Twitter, Instagram, I think I'm on TikTok, you know, wherever we are, you can find us there and get in touch with us because we really love it when we hear from our listeners. Of course, the other thing to do is to come back again next Wednesday when there'll be another edition of Troubleshooting Agile and we'll be taking apart some other new exciting idea. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Brock. 